Ask me if I was making a year's resolution to, to preach shorter. Um, and so I, of course, told him, absolutely not. Um, but you come to a passage like this and you could preach all evening. I'm not going to. Um, but there's so much in there, isn't there? And um, we obviously can't cover it all. Um, which is a brilliant way of dodging all the difficult bits, isn't it? Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll pull out some of the main threads. Um, and if there are particular elements of it that, you, that we don't cover, that trouble you, then do come and chat. Because um, there's some sorts of stuff in there. Um, <clears throat> but let me pray for us as we, as we get going. Heavenly Father, we long to know you and your son, Jesus, better. We long to reflect uh, him more clearly um, as we go about our day. Um, And we ask that by your spirit, you would show us yourself, you would show us your son, and that we would walk in, in his way this week. Amen. Um, I don't know what this week holds for you and, um, and what will be motivating you at any particular point in the week. I suspect that uh, tomorrow morning your reason for getting up will be the alarm clock. Um, and I suspect your reason for walking out the door will be more connected to a deadline, uh, a, a train time, uh, or a, the school run, or something like that. Um, it'll be more connected to those kinds of things than a deep sense of going out into all that God has for you in the day. I know that's the way I experience my day. I would love for it to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more rooted in what the day means but often it isn't. And I suppose it's one of those questions, isn't it? To what extent is it appropriate that we expect to um, live our lives out of a really in-touch sense of what everything means? Or, or to what extent do we just get through our days because that's what's in the diary and we trust that there was a reason why they were there? Um, and I think this passage, in some ways, is just one way in which we try and reconnect uh, what it is that we'll be doing for the next six days uh, with what it means to follow Jesus. Um, if you've been following us from the beginning of this series in Luke, you might remember me saying at the beginning that Luke, his, his fundamental purpose for writing this, right back at the beginning, he, he tells us, is that we might be certain um, about who Jesus is. Um, and extrapolated from that is the sense of, well, what does that look like? What is it, what's the implication of that being who Jesus is? Uh, what does it look like to follow him, um, to be a, a citizen of his kingdom? Um, and actually, the book is kind of divided in half that way. So, so part one is really answering the question, is Jesus this new messiah, this, messiah, this new king that is going to restore uh, uh, God's kingdom on earth? Um, and, and that half of the book finishes in chapter 9, um, and it's... And it's, it's predominantly made up of miracles that just show the authority uh, uh, that Jesus has, and we've looked at a few of those over the weeks. But then you have that, that moment in chapter 9 um, where Jesus is talking with the disciples and he says, you know, who do people say I am? And they throw out some ideas and he says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Um, and uh, Jesus said, says, don't tell anyone 
because people completely misunderstand what that means, because actually I'm going to suffer. Um, and in doing so, he draws the first half of the book to a close. At that point, we, can, we, we stand with Peter and going, okay, yep, he's the Christ. Um, I think that's Luke's purpose at that point in the book, which means that we now move into part two of the book, which is really focusing on what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to live under the reign of this new king? Um, and you might notice if you flick through that to a large degree, the miracles are kind of replaced by lots and lots of teaching. Um, and that's uh, some of what we're going to be looking at this evening. And that leads us up to the cross, which of course is the climax of the book in about 10 chapters' time or so. And there are lots of facets, of course, to what it means to follow Jesus. And this evening, we're looking particularly um, at what it means to be sent as his heralds into the world with news of his incoming reign. So we're just going to look at how this passage unpacks that. Um, But basically, that's what this story is about. It's fairly obvious, isn't it? It's that sense of whatever you're doing tomorrow, whatever the diary says about tomorrow, you go sent by Christ. This passage fits within a a sort of um, a trajectory uh, from Jesus doing his ministry to the church as the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, So at the end of this first half of the book, uh, where Jesus is established as the Messiah, he sends out the twelve so that's the, in chapter 9. He sends out the 12, gives them authority. And then he sends out the 72, which is today's passage, um, uh, in, a, in a similar kind of way. Um, but we see that it continues to broaden out. Um, uh, Acts, which is the sequel to Luke, starts with, with, uh, with Jesus saying, all of you that have seen me are going to be my witnesses uh, uh, throughout the known world. And as and Acts continues, the sort of scope of the Christian world seems to increase and increase and increase. And then, and then, but the end of the book sort of fizzles. There's, um, there's no great big resolution at the end of the book. There's a kind of dot, dot, dot uh, with which the book finishes. Because, of course, the story hasn't ended. The story continues in our lives. So there's a sense in which there's a trajectory from Jesus through the 12, the 72, the early church, and us that this passage sits in the middle of. 72 was a significant number. As you can guess with me, I've dug around for that. Um, There are two uh, potential significances to uh, this number 72. Um, The first is that in Genesis chapter 10, after the the flood story, uh, there's a list of, there's a table of nations, so all the nations of the world as as they will um, propagate out from Noah's family. There's 72 of those. Um, but also, uh, in the story of the Exodus, which, as you know, is kind of my mantra. It's the, it's the story that underlies all of this stuff. Um, in the story of the Exodus, in, as it's recounted in Numbers, uh, Moses appoints 72 elders to share the load of what he is doing, of his ministry. Um, and commentators generally favor one or the other, and I'm just going to hedge my bets and sort of say, well, I, I don't see why it shouldn't be both that actually um, we know that one of the themes here is that Jesus is leading a new exodus. He is creating a new people of God. 
drawing them out of slavery and uh, drawing them towards the promised land, which is his kingdom. Um, and we also know that what's distinctive um, from what was expected beforehand and what is particularly emphasized in the book of Luke is that that kingdom stretches across the world. No one is excluded from that. It is not a Jewish idea. It is all the table of nations. So in this number 72, there is this sense that God is creating, Jesus is leading a new exodus uh, for all of the nations of the world. And we are sent as agents of that uh, new exodus. And we're sent with a message um, and it's, it's very simply that the kingdom of God is near. It, that appears a couple of times, uh, verse 9 um, and also verse 11. Um, the word evangelism, which is a, is a tricky word, isn't it? We have all sorts of connotations with that word. My heart sinks a little bit when I hear it, if I'm honest. Um, but the, the, the word comes from the Greek euangelion, um, and, uh, no, I didn't just sneeze. Um, and, uh, and, but what euangelion means is it, it's, its associations are with um, somebody uh, rushing breathless from the battle that has been won and proclaiming the good news around town that the battle is won, the city is safe. Um, or even that, there is a, that the, the, the king uh, is secure, the king uh, uh, is coming and his reign is established. These are the kinds of ideas, this, the herald of the king. Um, and that's exactly what the message is that we get to take out into the world. We go uh, as breathless heralds of this victory uh, that Jesus is king. His kingdom is near. And it's a message that is both spoken and acted. Look again at verse 9, uh, which is... Uh, which is basically at the top of the fourth column on page, well, page 1041. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Obviously, we've seen so far in the book that Jesus uh, explains who he is and he shows it in the way he heals the sick um, and in the way he casts out demons. Um, And he calls the 72 to do the same. And therefore, derivatively, he calls us to do the same. Now, I don't know about you, my experience is slightly less dramatic than this passage. Um, But it is the same basic call. Uh, We are called to be agents of the kingdom. We are called to be agents of healing, um, whether that be in relationships, in community, or in the body, mind, or spirit. We're called to be agents of healing. We're called to be agents uh, of freedom from oppression, uh, whether that be the oppression uh, of, uh, uh, of the state, uh, the oppression of our own minds and expectations, oppression of sin, or indeed demonic oppression. All of these things, we are agents uh, of freedom from oppression. But also we, like Jesus, proclaim the significance of those being that agent. We proclaim that we do those things as heralds of this new kingdom, which is a kingdom of healing and of restoration. And we invite people to join 
that kingdom. Now, the, the church has a little bit of a checkered history uh, with what this actually looks like. Um, you know, in the past, there's been quite a lot of time where the church has been so oriented around verbal evangelism that they've forgotten to do anything else, and that actually any sense of living out the kingdom in compassion um, and in healing um, uh, has kind of been lost. And there's something to a corrective, as a corrective to that, I don't know if you've heard the saying, uh, um, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And of course, that's, a, that's, that's uh, attributed to Francis of Assisi, though actually probably wrongly so. We don't really know where it came from, and it doesn't, so it doesn't have the gravity of coming from Francis of Assisi. Um, but, and of course, in some ways, it is a very helpful corrective to um, a, a world that, or a church that kept forgetting the practical side of things and focused so much on just talking the gospel. But ultimately, I think it's probably an overcorrective. Because uh, actually we always need both, don't we? We always need both words and action. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. And here at All Souls we've embedded that in the whole way we understand what it means to belong here at All Souls. We, we, we talk about that under four headings, don't we? Grow, serve, give and tell. But, and I say it again, it's an idea that's riddled with controversy. Uh, religion to most of the world, is, uh, or at least the Western world, is something that uh, it's all very well as long as you keep it into the, in the privacy of your own home. Um, you can believe what you like so long as you keep it to yourself. And of course... There are reasons for that, isn't it? That, that uh, an awful lot of history in Western Europe is almost defined by people forcing uh, their religious beliefs on each other. And wars um, and huge amounts of suffering have been caused um, by that. And of course, we must mourn that. And in fact, I think the passage offers a brilliant corrective to that. <clears throat> if you remember that in the, in the world in which this story happens... Everyone was itching for war. That's what everyone wanted. They wanted to nail the Romans because that's how they understood the gospel. That's how they understood what the Messiah would do. He would be a military leader who would, who would defeat the Romans. And Jesus says the first thing you do when you step into these houses is you say, peace. It's the radical character of Jesus' kingdom is, in fact, that it is brought in not by conflict, but by peace. Um, so we mourn when the gospel it becomes used to actually create conflict and war. And, and we mourn when we see how badly evangelism is often done in terms of you know, arrogance and judgmentalism and some of these, these things. We'll come back to that. Um, but I think my point here is that it's easy to write the whole idea off because we've seen it done so badly um, but if Jesus' message is true, then it's true for everyone. Um, and if it's true for everyone, then keeping it to ourselves can't be the answer. That must be a nonsense. If, if, you, if you discovered a cure for cancer, 
and you said, well, I'm going to keep it to the, the privacy of, of my own home. I'm just going to let the, you know, a couple of close friends and family know. That would be outrageous, wouldn't it? Um, the message of Jesus is about the healing of the world. It is that he is king of the universe, and he is ushering in his new reign, and we are invited to join it. Um, and by implication, if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's possible to be invited into it, it's also, impossible, it's also possible to reject that invitation and be excluded uh, from it. Um, and in the passage, we see that that has life and death consequences. There's a real gravity around what it means to reject the incoming reign of Jesus. You can only keep this message to yourself, and you can only tell others to keep it to themselves if you've decided that it's not true. If it's true, it must be uh, for everyone. I said again, I'm not saying that that means that we just, we are uh, just, you know, scattergun in the way that we talk about this. So we'll, we will, as we, we will start to think a little bit more about what it should look like. But there is this fundamental thing in this passage that you can't really get away from that Jesus sends us with a message into the world. Um, and that is a message which is spoken and acted. So let's spend a couple of minutes thinking about, well, what, sh- what posture should we have as we talk about it? What posture do we see in the passage? Um, and I would say that what we see is a posture that is urgent and yet humble. Um, it, it's urgent because there are real consequences, as we've, as we've said. Um, and Jesus really, really sets an enormous sense of urgency. I think this idea that you shouldn't greet anyone on the road... I don't think it's saying that as they're going along, they can say, hey, I think um, if, if you know that culture, you'll, you will know that uh, a greeting could last quite some time uh, and chatting and how's your family and all this kind of stuff. And I th- I th- it's probably that that Jesus is saying. You haven't got time for that. You're on a mission. There's an urgency about what uh, I'm sending you to do. This wiping of the dust off your feet uh, is, is, it's a shocking image of exclusion. Um, if you imagine that these are, these are towns that feel themselves very safely in the, in the, in the center of uh, the people of God, of the Jewish nation, they are very confident that God is with them, um, that they're all right, Jack. Um, and here's this shocking image of basically saying, I don't want... I don't want even the dust from your streets to defile me. That's the kind of weight of, of, of that image of getting the dust off your feet as you leave. Sometimes there's cause for that kind of shock tactics. Of course, I would again say there are huge cultural elements here, um, and I'm not suggesting that that would be something that you necessarily emulate very closely um, uh, in the office tomorrow morning. Um, and then as Jesus goes on, you know, there's, there's, as he, he starts to plead with these overconfident towns. Um, the word woe here, um, verse 13, is um, the, the weight of that is less, we hear it as anger, that's not actually the, the, the flavor of the, 
original word. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not about vengeance. It's a, it's a pleading and a warning. Um, that, uh, that you know, you towns that think you've got it nailed uh, without Jesus, you really haven't. So there's this urgency, and we need to carry that urgency into the way we do things. And yet that urgency is put alongside a deep sense of humility. Because, of course, uh, it's all about Jesus and not about us. Whenever we do evangelism, the posture needs to be not one of being doing evangelism over people, but doing it alongside them. As somebody once said, it is, it is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We go in weakness as lambs among wolves uh, because it's him who is strong. We go empty-handed uh, because it is him that provides and sustains us. And more importantly, and I think this is, I want to dwell on this for just a few minutes as we come to a close. Um, we rejoice ultimately not in our authority and our success, uh, but in our belovedness. Um, that's not to say that results don't matter. Um, <clears throat> I, I would say that my, my worst experience of evangelism, my experiences of evangelism, are those experiences in which nobody gives a monkeys about uh, about results that they just want to vomit the gospel all over you, and then they can go home guilt free. Uh, whether you actually respond and engage is neither, almost neither here nor there. No, we, no, we do want a genuine response. There is a that is a concern, and yet um, that is not our source of affirmation. That's not a source of. Uh, uh, of what is of what should be important for us. Um, look at how the peop- how these guys come back from their time. Verse seventeen, the seventy-two returned with joy and said, "Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name." They're jolly proud of themselves. They're jolly proud that they have been given this authority and they get to do all these things. And wow, aren't I great, Jesus? Um, and, and Jesus, you know, for a couple of verses, for a couple of verses after that, he, he sort of says, well, you know, I have given you authority. He gives us uh, his authority as we go out. And yet, that is not the landing point um, for us. Look at verse 20. And I think this is, uh, this is the key verse in some ways for our perspective. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't rejoice about uh, the statistics. Don't rejoice about uh, your activities and your successes. Rejoice in the fact that because of what Christ has done on the cross, your name is written in his book. Um, That's where our joy comes from. And that's a very humbling thing. Uh, Jesus loves this bit about the gospel. Um, Verse 21, where it says, um, at that time, Jesus, full of uh, joy through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of, um, it's a sign under interpretation. Jesus Jesus is laughing ecstatically, basically. That's the the weight there of the words. He just loves the fact 
uh, uh, that God calls ordinary folk like you and me, not those that think they have the credentials, not those that think that they can be proud about anything. That's where we locate our joy. It is that we are loved and we are included in Christ no matter what happens. And that is where we draw our affirmation. On, on Wednesday, I was uh, packing away little souls with Hannah Head. I suspect most of you don't know Hannah. She comes to the, I don't even know, the 9-11 sort of mold into one in my head. Um, Hannah and Henry have a little boy called Arlo. They've been away for a while, and they came back, and Arlo can suddenly speak in sentences, and uh, he was desperate to help me clear up. Um, I mean, this is a guy whose head is below the backs of the chairs that I'm trying to stack. So he wasn't enormously helpful, but he was desperate to help. Um, And, of course, I'm sure he went home talking about how much he had helped Jez pack away the chairs at Little Souls. Um, and I love that picture uh, now you can overplay that picture but the point there um, is that Jesus doesn't need us Jesus could roll out his kingdom reign perfectly happily without us but he chooses to use us chooses to engage us for, uh, for his work in our lives um, but that demands this humility, doesn't it? This demands that sense that we go out in his strength um, and uh, for his glory, knowing that actually we bring nothing, uh, just as Arlo brought very little to packing away the chairs. So, what does your diary look like for this week? Uh, what are the things that will actually be driving you to do the next thing. Maybe cast your mind across some of the appointments um, that you might have this week. Um, And may I just commission you to go called by Jesus um, into the world this week. Know that what you do and say matters. Um, It echoes into eternity. Um, but it's not where your worth is located. It's not amid your activities and your results, but in the fact that God loves you and includes you in his kingdom. What would it mean this week to be an urgent but humble herald of uh, this message of the new king? What opportunities can you imagine having to respectfully uh, talk about your faith and show it in action? Let's maybe just have a moment of quiet to think about that uh, as John comes to lead us.